Welcome to the GSI Briefing Podcast. I am your host, Regina Ajia, President of the Garden State Initiative. In this edition of the GSI Briefing, we are presenting a panel discussion from GSI's recent Economic Policy Forum. We asked several policy experts to wonder aloud about what they see in New Jersey's future for our economy and key industries, government and political landscape, and commercial and private real estate values. The discussion, which was moderated by former state treasurer Ford Scudder, featured Jeffrey Oto, managing partner and chief economist of real estate consulting firm, the Oto Group, Senator Steve Orohub, the state Senate minority leader, and Dr. Bridget Harrison, professor of political science at Montclair State University. As you'll hear from Jeff Oto in the panel, you'll want to buckle up for what may lie ahead as we deal with unprecedented state government spending, an exodus of both young people and wealth from our state, and a tenuous real estate market. Now, here's the discussion. I thought we'd start with a framing question. You know, Dan made the great point that politics and economics um, are intricately intertwined. and also flow into the state budget, which then flows back into policy discussions. So, Leader Orho, maybe you could give a little color on just the dramatic increase in tax revenues that we've seen over the past few years, and then maybe each of you could comment a bit on how that may flow through into the policy discussions. Well, Ford, first of all, thank you very much. Thanks for your services as treasurer. We had a lot of these uh, discussions back then. Um, thank, thank goodness for the ingenuity and the adaptability of, you know, the people of the United States as well as the people of New Jersey. Um, Because when this whole thing started back in March of 2020, um, thank God for real smart people, you know, testing, vaccinations, manufacturing, as John Kennedy was talking about, uh, we're now in a different spot. But if you think about what it was back then, the the governor at that time thought that we could be a, a $30 billion deficit. And then it became uh, like a $10 billion deficit. And then there was actually a $4 billion borrowing uh, that ended up uh, being, um, unfortunately, we were opposed to it because it was not voter approved. And where did we actually end up? Well, this year for the fiscal, uh, you know, 2022, we're actually going to be $9.1 billion higher in revenue collection than what was expected back in March of 2021 when the uh, governor made his, uh, you know, his, his you know, cover, uh, you know, budget address. Um, and quite frankly, the revenues for the projections for fiscal 2023 uh, are another over $3 billion higher than what was expected just this past March when the governor made his uh, you know, a budget address for fiscal year 2023. So, as Regina had mentioned, we're awash in cash. It's going to be extremely important as to how that cash gets utilized um, on a very bipartisan basis. Last year, when they had talked about uh, the borrowing for the $4 billion that was actually not necessary, um, on a bipartisan basis, I know it was Senator Paul Solo and I and Senator Sweeney who brought up, well, what about the visas? And then they started talking about the, the feasance plan. But that's where the situation we're in 
right now, and it's really important about how that gets utilized, and I'm sure that's going to be a part of this discussion today. Jeff or Bridget, any thoughts on, on how that huge rise in revenues can play through into policy discussions from your end? Well, I mean, I think that one thing that is, so Governor Murphy comes into office in 2017, and we have a budget that is, what, $35 billion, right? So the 2022 fiscal year budget is $49 billion, right? Um, that's an enormous increase in, in four years, and I would expect with this additional revenue that fiscal year 2023 is going to be even higher, much probably in $50 billion. Um, it's really hard once that happens to scale back. And earlier discussions talking about recession, my concern is that that is probably not a permanent situation, that increase in revenue. Um, the senator mentioned uh, Steve Sweeney, the former Senate president, who was for many years kind of beating the drum of pension and benefit reform. We That drum has ceased to be beaten um, for the past, well, year since, since Senate President um, lost his re-election bid, and so that has ceased to become a priority. Um, my concern is that the state will, you know, politicians, no offense, cover your ears, politicians love to spend money, and they will spend money, um, and then we get to the point when there's a recession and tax revenues are down, um, where we're back where we were in 1994, 5, 6, 2001, 2003, and so on. Right. Well, Jeff, I know that um, recession is a concern of yours. Do you want to talk about how you see the macro environment as well as, obviously, your expertise as real estate and how that flows through from the macro environment? Well, as a starting point, um, I think that we should completely disregard everything that's happened in the last few years if the, if the conversation is about what's going to happen in the future. This is a complete aberration. We can, we, we can take no lessons from what the surplus is in the budget, uh, what revenues have been. It's all totally meaningless because this is a blip on the screen that really doesn't inform us of much about where we'll be in five years or 10 years from now. And my assessment of where we will be, just to sort of co-opt a phrase from It's All About Eve and that Betty Davis spoke to, fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And I say that because real estate markets and how they perform are a proxy for how well we're doing at managing our economy, maintaining our population and demographics and businesses. Um, it sort of tells us, how, it's the report card, it's the synergy, it's the result of policy and how policy is informing real estate markets. Because when real estate markets are doing well, there is prosperity. The, the public and businesses are succeeding. And if you go back to pre-pandemic, the report card tells us that we've really performed miserably here in New Jersey. And the evidence is clear. Um, up through 2019, home prices in New Jersey, that would be the pre-pandemic cutoff, home prices in New Jersey had not yet recovered to 2007 levels, while nationally, 
home prices had seen a net rise of 40%. As of 2019, commercial real estate prices had not yet recovered to where they were pre-pandemic, while nationally they were up by 30%. Um, we have had for a very long time a structural glut overhang of retail and office properties as evidenced by the fact that vacancies in northern New Jersey office buildings have been for a very long time the worst in the nation. That's a proxy for how well our policies are promoting business growth and development and the employment that flows from that and the spendable earnings that people working in those businesses get to put back into the economy. Um, and it's, it's a universal consensus that while that glut of retail and office properties existed pre-pandemic, everything is worse going forward from here because they were all built before e-commerce, online shopping, and work from home technologies. So from a real estate perspective, we have a lot of trouble ahead, and I'm not sure that we're prepared for it. I'll just make one more comment. Uh, during, during the pandemic, as we expected, hospitality and office and retail uh, deteriorated dramatically. That was easy to expect. What we did not expect was that housing prices, both home sales and rents, went up double digits year after year. It's totally illogical, it's irrational, it's unprecedented that the cost of housing would go up during an economic crisis. 20 million people lost their jobs in the United States inside of 18 months, 700,000 here in New Jersey, and prices went up. How could that be? I can tell you how it will be. We borrowed spendable income from Manhattan because the policies there, the public rejected and said, we want to get out of there and come over to Jersey because it's close enough and it's going to cost us less to live and rent and buy houses there. There's a lesson to be learned inside of that, just as word that came out this morning that uh, San Francisco has lost 20% of its population over the last 12 months. There's a lesson in that. People will go to where their lifestyle will be most comfortable. Now those prices went up a lot, but I can tell you with certainty, we're gonna have a correction in house prices very soon because the people from New York are no longer coming here. Prices have elevated to where New Jersey income can't afford where rents and home prices are today. And banks are to the point where their position is, I understand you need to offer over asking price to have the winning bid, but you don't earn enough for us to be able to lend you as much as you'll need to complete that transaction. Home prices have now been, home sales have now been declining in New Jersey for eight consecutive months. There is a reset coming. And I hope we're talking about how we're going to get through that. Does anyone want to jump in on those really rosy thoughts? <laughs> well, yeah, actually, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, one of the things that we did learn, and, and I do agree, the idea that we have people here in New Jersey. Now, there's one key thing, and we have to learn we've been through a paradigm shift. And this issue of working, you know, remotely, working it, 
is could have a huge impact on New Jersey resources. And I've been out there talking about it constantly. And that's people don't realize. People who live in New Jersey to work in New York, I did it for 18 years. People don't realize that New York gets $4 billion a year from New Jersey residents. Now, we do give uh, a credit against it so we don't have the double taxation. But just think about it. When I just heard recently that 8% of the employees are back working full time. And we all know we heard about workforce before. We know that there's been a huge paradigm shift in, in where people are going to work. So the idea of people in New Jersey not using any resources from New York, still paying New York taxes, that could end up being a huge... I actually had a meeting today with the governor's office on this very issue to make sure that we keep up the, you know, the pressure. Because I do think that, that that is something that could be a much of a benefit for New Jersey. The other things that we have to do... And, and I see Mark Magyar here. We were um, on a very bipartisan basis. We have, there is a bit of a roadmap of how you fix, you know, some of the things that have been happening in Jersey. And quite frankly, the silver, there's no silver bullet, but there's got to be political courage. And that's the thing we did on the path to progress, right? Uh, we had a number of the people here in the audience actually sat on that uh, review uh, commission. The recommendations were there. We have to have the courage in order to go ahead and, and, and do it. And it, it's not something that has to, like, a light switch. We could have transitioned, because five years ago, I think, is when we did the report. If we had just started back then, we'd be halfway, you know, you know halfway into getting things accomplished. So I, I do think that uh, we've been through a, a significant uh, changes this um, in the past few years. And New Jersey could really take advantage of some of this, as long as we are aggressive, say, as New York used to be as aggressive against us. Bridget, do you want to maybe tie that into some of the difficulties that universities are facing and or our difficulty in keeping young people in the state? Sure. I mean, you know, in the last panel, there was a discussion about um, an educated workforce. And one of the things that we're seeing, I'm, I'm a parent of three children, two of whom have gone to college out of state, uh, three of whom actually have gone to college out of state. And I teach at a state university. Um, that's not uncommon, right? And the reality is, is that in the state of New Jersey, we're investing a quarter of a million dollars in educating kids through K, to, K through 12. And then we're sending them to the University of Delaware. And then we're sending them to NYU. And then we're sending them to Penn State. And what we know about young people is that that's where they get their first job. That's where they fall in love. That's where they settle down. And our biggest export in this state is our young people who also have the greatest potential to contribute to the fiscal health of the state. They're the educated workforce that we've invested in. They're also most likely to pay the most in taxes, if, particularly if they have a 40-year career ahead of them. And um, one of the things that we're seeing, particularly in public higher education, you may have seen the banner headlines about the, the increase in, in higher education budget that actually wasn't true. In my state university, we lost about $10 million this round. Hopefully we'll get that back, right, Senator? A little public lobbying here. Um, but, but the reality is, is that how ed higher education in the state is funded is very unequal. unequal. So if you're a student and you know, your kid decides to go to Rowan, that student is going to get much more of a subsidy than if they go to Stockton or if they go to Montclair, which in my mind is an issue of equity and doesn't make any sense at all. 
But the reality is we can be doing much more to encourage our students to stay in state by making us much more affordable than places like University of Delaware and um, BU and, and the rest of it. Um, the other part of that is that that helps grow our economy because we then have the workforce. And one of the ways in which we need to do that is through these public-private par partnerships so that we recognize, Orsted has been fantastic down at Stockton, um, essentially saying, this is the workforce that we need. And, and sometimes that is cooperation between community colleges and four-year institutions and businesses and industry to make sure that you have all kinds of layers of employment, right? So you have people that are, you know, yes, physically building the, the wind power structures that are out in the ocean, but also the managers and, and um, people kind of in, in the white collar jobs. And there's room for that throughout the state, I think. Yeah, I'd like to add that this um, loss of uh, ed young educated people and just the loss of population in general, um, this is a big deal here in New Jersey. Uh, that's still not fully understood. Um, United Van Lines uh, published uh, their study in January of this year on migration patterns in 2021, and they rated New Jersey as the highest outbound state in the country. So we came in last place here. And by their estimates, when somebody puts their goods on a moving van and, uh, and goes to live somewhere else, 70%, 70% of the time, they're going to another state. And when you drill down into the out-migration numbers, it's not at all uh, what I expect to see each time I look at it. It's not retirees. Retirees only count for one-third of people living, leaving the state. So two-thirds are making a voluntary decision that this is not where they want to live any longer. And 49% of people leaving have, a, have an income above $150,000 a year. So that means they can afford to stay and they don't want to. We have a lot of work to do. New Jersey is an amazing place. I'm born and raised here. We have, you heard about all the attributes. I agree with all of them. First and mostly our, our, the people who live here. But this is a little like death by a thousand cuts. And in the beginning, it's just a few drops here and there, but left unaddressed, we will get to a point where the glass is less than half full. And by then it'll be too late. Just uh, to, to piggyback on that, the interesting thing about New Jersey is, they, um, is that we are very good at creating wealth. And we're also very good at exporting that well. And there was a, uh, and I get, uh, they, they kid me all the time, because there was a thing called the Boston College Study that was done, and it wasn't very long ago, I know under Governor Christie, he used to speak about, I think it was either $70 billion or $90 billion worth of net worth that left in a, in a five-year period. The five-year period before, and we're not talking that long ago, the five-year period before, New Jersey was a net importer of wealth of like $110 billion uh, you know, and so this. So we've been there, and as I said, when we talked about the path of progress, we know what we have, what we can do. You know, as, as Jeff and Bridget were talking, we got, the, we got great assets. 
We just outpriced them with respect to costs, fees, and regulation, which is one thing that people don't really get you know, understand about. But the cost of regulation is huge. We actually did pass unanimously, and I hope the governor will take retake a look at this. We passed unanimously, and I think Chris Emholtz was out there, and I think called the Government Efficiency and Regulatory Review Commission. Because you know, um, successful companies always look at ways of how we can be, be more effective. And every single legislator voted in favor, except for one, right? But unfortunately, it got absolutely vetoed. But that's something that successful, successful companies know they need to do all the time of continuously looking and what they have. So I hope that that's something that we can we can take. The two things I'd you know, take away, let's get the recommendations for the path of progress done, and let's also get that government efficiency and regulatory review permanently uh, accomplished. Can I comment on that? You have time? Sure, go ahead. Okay, just, I'll make it quick. Um, I, I think, Michelle, I heard you, nice to see you again, by the way. I think you were talking about New Jersey now having transitioned to being a service economy. Um, that's not a sustainable model. Um, because with each passing year, um, the pie gets smaller and smaller and smaller. After you take out cost of living and cost of taxation, it's like playing the game of Monopoly and you pay rent when you land on Illinois um, and you have to pay a 10% uh, income tax if you land on that chance block. And then you get to, you pass go and you get $200, but you spent more than the $200 you got back after you paid for your rent and your taxes. Not sustainable. And manufacturing is the only way to address that because now what you're doing is the revenue coming into the state, into the economic pie, is coming from other places who are buying your product. And so the pie gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And that's the definition of achieving prosperity. We cannot survive as a service economy. The thing that keeps me up at night the most, though, is when I read and hear in the media that drug prices are too high. And probably most of us find ourselves nodding. It should strike fear in your hearts, that conversation. Because if drug prices go up universally, pharma will need to figure out a way to close the gap on their bottom line and living in a high-cost, high-tax, high-salary state won't close that loop. We need to be careful what we wish for. I would be building a fence around our pharma, our pharma companies and doing everything we can to make sure that they can afford to stay here and still be true to their shareholders. I'd love to get to the audience, but I think we've got to um, try to wrap up. But just to build on that last question, we'll just do really quick, um, Bridget and Leader Orho, what is it that keeps each of you up at night? I'll tell you exactly what Jeff's saying. The, the idea of, listen, Rita and I, we have five children. We're expecting our ninth and there may be a tenth grandchild out there. Uh, I love New Jersey. Rita asked me, where, you know, where do you want to you know, live when you retire? I said, I'm staying right here. I want to be buried in the backyard. But the real problem is that you That's look illegal. at I know, I know. But spread me around. Yeah, there's enough me spread me around. No, but at the, at the, at the same time, it really is the idea of capital, capital you know, attraction and capital retention. 
I said many, many, many times, you know, capital follows the path of least resistance like water, but the one thing they look for to success. So it may not be the, the, the lowest cost, but it certainly looks for the highest value. And New Jersey can be that because we were that once not too long ago and we can get it back. Um, you know, I'm going to take it in a, a different vein. I think that what, what keeps me up at night, just because I'm a political scientist, is uh, the polarization that we're seeing nationally. We're also seeing it playing out in our state and you may not feel it, but it's there. And to me, most important is that you have this kind of polarization within both political parties that is coming from the same source. And so if you look or you listen to the vernacular of the progressives that are the thorn in the side of the moderates within the Democratic Party, and you listen to the Trump supporters who are the thorn in the side of the moderate wing of the Republican Party, they're each saying the same thing, right? It's about jobs, it's about income inequality, both horizontal and vertical, right? So between the middle class and, and the upper middle class, but also between places like Newark and places like, you know, Short Hills, but also like places like New Jersey and Mississippi. Um, and the, the difference, the, not the only difference, but the key difference is who's to blame, right? So, um, progressives are saying that it is really a, about government not redistributing enough and conservatives are saying that it's too much taxation. To me, whatever, the point is, is that there's this really loud drumbeat again of, of malcontents who are really dissatisfied with our democracy. And that is an incredible economic threat. Um, if you don't believe it, look at what the stock market did after January 6th. And so that is something that, that legitimately keeps me up at night because that has some really important implications moving forward, um, both here in the state and beyond. One sentence. I agree with you, but I don't think the problem is political. I believe- The problem is economic. That capitalism yeah. has failed the American worker because we've eliminated all the ladders of opportunity to be able to climb up and go from low income to middle income. There's no middle anymore because we exported all of those manufacturing jobs and we're back to being a service economy. And in a service economy, very few people will prosper. Can I just make one comment with respect to the political? And I, I would say, and I understand what Bridget is saying, but the thing that no one's talking about there is the idea of the media itself. Because I, I, I work in that you know, all the time. And I will tell you, I just had a meeting with Senate President Skatari. Everybody knows my relationship I have with Senate President Sweeney. I would say, you know, you know, maybe you got the 10% and 10%, but you got a big 80%. The people really do, they really do talk. Now, the media likes to put the spotlight on the, the 10 and the 10 and not really talk about, you know, so it seems like we're all bad people. And that's, and honestly, that's, that's not true. That's not what I see every day. Now, do we disagree? Sure. But can we be, you know, respectfully disagreeable and so just, yeah. And guess what? I'm always going to, I'm going to pray every single day that I can get Senator 
President's Qatari to agree or Senator, you know, all the time with Senator Sweeney to agree to what I want them to do. It may have taken me a couple of years and stuff, and it may make small, but listen, we, all, we, we talk all the time. Uh, but unfortunately, the media doesn't talk about that. Excellent thoughts that I think hopefully will spur some nice conversations um, in the lobby afterwards. Thank you all. If we can draw any conclusion from these experts, it's that New Jersey is a state with incredible assets and potential, but with significant problems. Those problems are fixable with political will from our elected officials in Trenton. It's up to us as citizens to hold them accountable. The GSI Briefing is produced by the Garden State Initiative. For more information about GSI, visit us at gardenstateinitiative.org and be sure to follow us on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the GSI Briefing on the podcast platform of your choice. And please leave us a good rating. This is Regina Agia, and thank you for listening. <laughs>